This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 15, 2017 Wrap-Up. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. How does it actually feel to be in the new year? Last episode, we told a big old lie. First recording of the new year. Yeah. Re- you do you want to do your old Lang sign bit again? No, I don't. No, no? it you don't didn't. Want to I, audibly, uh, you know, it wasn't the. the best. Were you annoyed by having to edit it later? Or it was just very echoey. Yeah, such an echoey bit. Ooh, a little. A little editing commentary from the editor. <laughs> this is our new segment. And end of the new year, we've got. Uh, we're gonna start every show with uh, editor's commentary, where the editor talks about it's an editor's Matt's errata. <laughs> editor's errata, where the editor talks about Guys, how it was. I'm... Let me ask you something, Matt. How was it to edit that last episode? Well, was I it really a chore? Felt good, I felt good about that, but that I took out. <laughs> um, but I left in too many so's, and I don't know. It's just it's leaving me really perturbed. Let's talk about the holiday spectacular. Right. We did a stream. The day after Christmas. We did a six-hour stream. Well, first of all, let's give them the whole day. So we started the day, and we warmed up with an entire game of Twilight Imperium. Right, yes. <laughs> we had a warm-up game, like you do, a warm-up game of Twilight Imperium. Right. Um, why are we talking about this again, Hunter? What's the deal here? Didn't well, we already not... talk about the Holiday Spectacular? Well, we didn't do Well, we didn't do a particularly good job, I would say. Why? We did, um, well... It didn't make no sense unless you watch the entire six-hour stream. Is that hour because stream? we had just played 18 hours of Twilight Imperium? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So we wanted to take another look today at uh, the games we played. Uh, and we also kind of want to do like an exhaustive look of the year 2017 and what it meant for Twilight Imperium and what it meant for us. And yeah, we kind of want to do a wrap up. You can think of this as a sort of shareholders meeting. Yes. Um, Will, <laughs> Will Smith is playing uh, for all the shareholders. Um. Uh, so yeah, we want to talk about our holiday spectacular game. And it is worth noting that we played two games of Twilight Imperium in one day. separate from, well, Three games in one day. Yeah. Hunter and I played separate games beside each other. Ooh, can we talk about that real quick? Yeah. It's so much fun to play without you. Um, (laughs) I just want to say for the record, I got to play without my other half, and it just felt like the Wild West. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, uh, people had... the, The problem with playing without you is that um, I don't answer questions as nicely, um, nor encourage lots of questions. So it can be a little bit of a problem to play without Matt because, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I encourage questions. No, I would, I would listen in every once in a while, and you were doing a good job of teaching rules that people weren't aware of. We were playing with all of our good friends who we used to play with, but none of them, or only two of them had played TI4 yet. So there was lots of things we were kind of reintroducing to people and also for a few of them they hadn't played in over a year right um so yeah there were two games side by side that happened um my game i was the nalu collective 
I did not have a good game. It was a four-player game. My neighbors were the L1Z1X and the X-Cha Kingdom, and if you know anything about what those two races are good at, they're good at shutting down fighter screens. Mm -hmm. And the Nalu is good at having fighter screens. Mm -hmm. So it was a weird game, and honestly, I don't even feel equipped to talk about the Nalu based on it uh, because it was just so... I was so easily shut down. It's like, what are you, what are you supposed to do? It's such a random. That's never going to happen again, probably to me. Mm-hmm. To be sandwiched between the two people who are my primary counters. Um, but I will say, uh, it was a four-player game, and Mentac was also in it. That was the fourth player, and Mentac continues to be a race that like, it just does the weirdest things to trade. And in a four-player game, it was even weirder because it's just like. He's adjacent to half of the players in the mm-hmm. game, and just automatically, just not automatically, even really having to doesn't do have to think about it, and so it was like he was taxing everybody. So it was a really weird game. Um, L1Z1X won it, but it was not a, a an especially hard fought game. We were all kind of rushing to finish because we knew the big game was coming up. Hunter, how did your game go? I played as the Necrovirus in my game, and I would say similar to you. Um, I feel like I need another look-see. You before... guys didn't even finish your game. No, we, we rushed did not. our finish, but you guys just called it. We did not. Uh, it was gonna be. Uh, we called it for my neighbor, but it was going back and forth between the two of us, mm-hmm. and it was not going to end anytime soon. Yeah. It was really the problem. Um, I was getting. I was having a very good necro game. Uh. Uh, essentially my neighbor was the barony mm-hmm. and that's kind of i think one of your dream neighbors yeah, get that non-euclidean shielding yeah and he and his tech game was very difficult for him the entire time because he had to consider me and everything right and there were a lot of tech objectives which Ooh. for necro can be kind of a bummer yeah because you don't, you don't it's like i don't have control yeah. um but i was keeping up and essentially Every single time my neighbor, the barony, scored a tech objective, it was because I could also do yeah. it as well. Yeah. So I was I was keeping up very well. Um, I don't know how I feel. Necro, I think, in general, is one that's going to take a while. I think we have it slated to happen Be pretty soon. soon. That'll probably change. It probably will because yeah. it's just a very, it's a very open-ended race. And I have an idea of something I want to try after this first pass, yeah. um, and we're going to see what I think happens. we're going to, I think we're about to change the schedule up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have it posted on our Board Game Geek Guild, but... Uh, yeah, that was made before the holiday games, and there were just so many kind of like shocking revelations during the holiday games and changes of races that we were planning on playing. I haven't even played the Mentac yet, and that's supposed to be next week's episode, so that that will not be the yeah, case. Yeah, that's right out. Um, so all that being said, we played those two games, kind of quick, dirty games of TI, mm-hmm. and then we set up, we probably spent like two to two and a half hours setting up all of our tech and stuff, and... The decision to do a stream was like a pretty late-in-the-game decision. Really, the goal was to just record the game, uh, and we will talk more about like what all we're doing with those recordings later, but we streamed it because we had the capabilities there, and it seemed just as easy to, to tack that in, but it meant we didn't have a particularly um, entertaining stream experience, I would say. If I was ever to want to do a stream again and know we were going to be streaming, it would be a very different thing visually 
Yeah, I think there'd be a lot more planned interaction between yes. us and anyone watching yeah. just to keep you watching. I mean, there are periods of the stream where there's no one at, no one at the, the table. table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and also just the idea of like we, you know, didn't have the score present on the screen and just like yeah it would be impossible yeah, we didn't have any way to track that yeah really the, like, yeah we the stream part was last minute so yeah. essentially it's just in the future if we do a stream you will know well in advance and it will be a scheduled thing that's a that's a promise from us you'll, you'll know at least a week ahead of time before we're going to stream another game mm-hmm. um but all that being said it was really fun to stream because the people who did tune in were adding great bits of flavor to the game whether it be insulting the players moves and decisions or pointing out rules we messed up or just in general interaction that was it was really really fun and i I want to do it more there was a really adorable moment where um uh one of our players mistakenly uh thought that bonus counters were a thing in ti4 um, which is a pretty understandable mistake. Yeah. Um, and everyone pointed it out, not because they were annoyed that he had made a mistake. They pointed it out because they thought he had lost his trade good. Yeah. So they saw that he that he saw he took a strategy card with a trade good on it, but then later didn't see a trade good, and they were like, "Hey, buddy, you." You lost, you, have a, you lost one trade good, and it was so. But no, cute. it was that he cheated and <laughs> turned the trade good into a command counter. Mm-hmm. Well, so, he didn't know, I, or at least didn't. that's what he claimed. Well, he, we know he didn't know because of all the results of everything else, he didn't know. He's a very not knowing kind of person. <laughs> You'll find out if you watch so, all six hours. Let's get let instead of making people watch all six hours, let's kind of break down the game uh, as best we can. And mm-hmm. um, the reason we want to do this is we want to kind of establish what we hope to be a trend of something we do more in the future we've had lots of segments on this show recently where we real quickly kind of hash out a game we played but one of our goals for this podcast is to have entire episodes devoted to just describing a game and discussing the strategies used in that game and that's where i mean for me that's where i see the the longevity of this podcast is once we get through all this like introductory material and these strategy guides and all these things, what we'll be left with is just strategy discussion based on specific interactions that, you know, Oh, what is it like when the ghosts play against X and just Mm -hmm. discovering more and more about the game. So to that end, this is how our holiday spectacular went. Ooh, yeah. I think something that was noted early on by Hunter, I remember him saying it out loud multiple times, was how bad of a start I had. Matt didn't have a good start. Honestly, not many people had good starts, no. though. In general, there was a huge mistake right out of the gate. I wonder if you remember it. I remember it very vividly there because was I a... was the Joel Nar, Yeah. And but I went first, so I was like, well, I might as well take Warfare. You should just take Warfare. But... I'm also, just to point out, I don't know that Warfare is actually a great pick for Jolnar round one, depending on the setup, because um, you've got a Dreadnought and two carriers. More than anything, you just need to get your infantry on the board, and using the secondary of Warfare is probably more important to you Mm -hmm. than building off of Warfare and pulling the command token Yeah, so you, you picked a weird strategy card. I didn't pick tech, and turns out, Neither did anybody else. Right. And um, we had a tech objective on the board, so Hunter and I were especially shocked, but it made for a really weird round one where nobody was going to get tech, so everyone had to focus on expanding, and everyone's expansions were kind of funky. Yeah. Um, 
I want. I, sorry, there's going to be a. This is going to be kind of a weird discussion because I feel like we're going to go off in a lot of yes, different uh, directions. But that's kind of uh, that's kind of what we want right now. Um, yeah. I. It okay. So this was clearly a mistake to not pick tech when there's a tech public objective. Yeah. Except for, and I don't think they they did this because it was a smart thing to do. I think they just actually weren't paying attention to public objectives yeah. or they were thinking about other things or whatever. But the point being is this. Um, it actually gave me a really good idea um, in that I don't I think you should force Jolnar to pick tech. Yeah, because they don't want to. Right. They, and giving it to him easy is not a great thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's kind of this general feeling I'm getting that when you when you have these races like Hakan yep. or Jolnar that just basically get like an easier go around with a one strategy card, I think it's best to force them to pick it because it's all, you know, this is all relative, like, to how the other races are doing compared to you, and if you're forcing Jolnar to pick tech, then you're at least forcing them to specialize in the thing that they're already good at. Right, they're already going to do amazing at tech, so if they have to pick tech, that means they're not getting good at anything else. They're not taking economic advantages or anything like that. They're just getting the tech that they want to get. And a Jolnar without tech is just a negative one right. race. It's exactly. a very bad race. So they will take tech so they, if it comes down to And it. the other thing, too, is I, I do think it's in your interest to, if Jolnar doesn't pick tech, to just not pick it yeah. because it hurts them more than it hurts you. It hurts yeah. you a little bit. And this is a very, I'm, you know, this is one of those times where we're talking, we're really theory crafting and we're going very wide and vague. But it goes in line with a lot of the discussions we keep having in TI4, and I don't know if this is a TI4 thing, or if this is a our kind of group thing, or if this is because we're interacting with more people in the community now, but my general idea keeps being, we like to set up these race strategy guides around the focus of what's your superpower going to be, mm-hmm. and depending on what that answer is, that tends to be how I also want to deal with that race, and right. any race that ends... Any race that has an easy path to becoming a superpower, the discussion with the table very quickly has to be, how do we prevent them from being a superpower? Mm-hmm. Hakan, we need to do no even trades with Hakan. Right. Jolnar, just make them take tech. Uh, Mentak, like, how do you stop the piracy? Like, these, there's all these discussions that we keep having about races where it's like, force them to have a bad time mm-hmm. not in just attacking we're not talking into like ooh, dig into their territory that's like the common argument against jolnar is like they're weak early so attack them but it's like no just make it to where they don't get to have a diverse set of strategies mm-hmm. if they want to be able to do tech they have to do it alone yeah make people act alone because this game everyone is better when they act together when they're able to negotiate with people and so if you leave less things on the bargaining table the people on the other side of that table are worse off for it i i i just think in general uh good rule of thumb make jolnar pick tech yeah make them so on that kind of similar note you were hakan and you did some interesting things with trade i'm pretty happy with what i did with trade it worked really well i wonder how i don't know like the, the discussion with Hakan, I think, is going to evolve so oh, yeah, much. Yeah. So the thing we ha- should state, state right now is that the strategy Hunter used with Hakan is something he used this last game. But next time he or I or someone else plays Hakan, 
I will have that strategy in mind and have responses to it. I mean, the meta game evolves game to game to game. Right. So Hunter's strategy was really good because of the context we had from our previous Hakan games, mm-hmm. which was Hakan was wheeling and dealing, trying to just do a little bit of trading with everybody to get the better of all of those trades. But then we turned it into this thing where, okay, nobody offer him good trades, and it turned into a problem. So Hunter, how did you deal with that? Um, I essentially, my goal, uh, my basic goal was to just only trade, trade with as few people as possible. Yeah. So when I played trade, I would only for refresh commodities for players that agreed to one for one trades. Yeah. And generally I just tried to not talk to the, I think a mistake that other, I've seen other con players make is to kind of be like, all right uh open table what's you know who's who wants money and stuff and trying to go that way but instead i was just looking at the table and be like okay who who at this table could really use the cash right and if i'm just talking to them and being like listen this is just a me and you thing if you give me your four commodities for my four commodities we can be done with this and all i had to do was pick um ej who was taking a lead as extra yeah um, and I knew he wanted the money because he was taking a lead. Right. He knew he was going to get turned on. Yeah. I literally like kind of helped fund his ascent because I knew it was, it was more than likely not going to last. Yeah. Um, and then also picked my neighbor, the barony was my original trade partner. Although that got very that strange. That turned into a fun um, problem. But the, the reason barony was a good pick was because I, they can do a lot with two trade goods. Yeah. So it was literally, I traded my four commodities away and then I'm only giving those two to Barony if they'll do if two, they'll do ba- two and otherwise two. I won't. So I just, yeah. I it's picking partners that make sense yeah. and not just opening it up right. for the whole table. And you took trade almost every single chance you could so that you could control who was getting to, to do that. You, you decided I'm going to play into the role and be the trade king and be very stingy. I did not want anyone to have commodities if it wasn't cool with me, essentially. Yeah, basically. Um, and when I didn't take t- trade, the few rounds that I didn't, um, it did not get taken. So right. I, which I would say kind of helped me, played yeah. into it a little bit. But it's weird because we just established this thing with Jolnar, like you should make them take tech. And in a lot of ways, Hakan is similar in that they don't have to ask to get their commodities. But one of the reasons I was able to maintain that stranglehold was that no one had their commodities. And I didn't right. want to say this during the stream. But I actually do feel like in the way I was playing, that to 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 throw it off balance would maybe be to take tech yourself or to trade, sorry, yeah, um, and refresh more people's commodities so that people could negotiate easier. Because the thing was, it I, the way I was framing it was like these people, their only choice to trade was with me. Like right. literally also the two, the barony and the extra were not neighbors. Right. They could not have even traded with each other. It was literally trade with a con or don't trade at all. Yeah. And that was basically the idea that I wanted to go with. And it, it worked very effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to say, um, kind of transitioning from that, you choosing the extra as one of your players, the way EJ played extra gave me some more interesting notes on extra as a race. Uh, we've talked about EJ as a player before on the podcast, uh, and he's not typically a 
um, VP focused player, and he's usually he likes. I mean, he loves the extra because they're a turtle race. But what's interesting about this game is multiple of us, and EJ included, were trying to like break out of our shells a little bit. I was doing the same thing as Joel Nar, um, but we were trying to change up our strategies because, like, for EJ specifically. He never wins, so he was like, no, I'm going to go for VPs. Mm -hmm. And he took an early lead, but what it proved was Extra doesn't do well with an early lead because Mm -hmm. then by late game, EJ didn't really have the best PDS network set up. He got his flagship on the board, and he had kind of like a scary lockdown on Mechatol when he remembered to use it. But um, for the most part, I I would say a race like Extra, you actually, it hurts you to swing hard for early victory points mm-hmm. because he he was left with bad defenses and his late game advantages never showed up to the party basically. Right. And so that's the interesting kind of thing about TI4 I feel like is we keep talking about these races that that you know Arborek wants to swing hard in the late game and I think that is something that needs to be focused on doubly so because if you do go too hard early you did not set up what you needed in the late game and you will definitely fall behind if you are a late game race and you don't go for the late game it really kind of messes your whole mo up he didn't set up his pie slice correctly he should have taken his instead he kind of like swung out and towards Mechatol, playing that kind of strategy. Yeah, he wanted to dig into Mechatol, but he didn't even dig it. Like, he took nah. Mechatol, and then, because no one else... He got scared of the heat. Cared, really. yeah. He, he never left that much on Mechatol, and he got to just sit there. I mean, he sat there for, like, four rounds with, like, a carrier and some ground forces, but no one else felt it was worth their while to to move in well he wasn't taking imperial exactly like so it, he wasn't improving his lead with mechatol it was just a really weird plan i he he got i think he got farther out ahead than he thought he exactly. even would and he, that is, he got like it was like i had two points and he had five and yeah. i was second place and he was first like right. it was nuts yeah and i'm not even sure if that's possible but i, I it, it was is something possible. like that. it is possible yeah. I mean, he, i'm pretty sure he did something close to that yeah but. and it i don't know it was uh I thought where he was going was sort of that thing you see people do sometimes where it's like they defend their home system, they defend Mechatol, and then everything else is just kind of like, yeah. there's no real pie slice so much right. as it's just like two these pods. two, yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought he was going for that, but he didn't He didn't even really go there. Um, but honestly, I uh, it was really a heat thing that I think got to him because yeah. the entire like table was really... I don't know. They just weren't into it. You were cutting into him. Connor eventually cut yeah. into him, which is why I kept trading with him. Yeah. It was kind of perfect. He knew because he needed the money. I picked the black sheep to right. be like, not to swing this back around to being about me, yeah. but I'm just, I'm just trying to illustrate this Hakan point even more within uh, talking about EJ Yeah, is uh, pick the person. If you're going to trade with somebody, pick the person that is the afraid. least popular. Yeah. The because, least popular and the most afraid. Yeah. And he was. He certainly was. Yeah. We've talked a lot about this game kind of already, and I'm trying to not hit all the exact same points we brought up when we talked about it with all our friends, but also I was delirious, and I don't remember all the points we brought up. But do you want to talk some about yours and the Barony's relationship in this game? It was very interesting. I think... Uh, I. <laughs> Let's talk about what Sean wanted to do. Right. So what Sean had a plan. He he had an idea, and it, I think the tricky thing was that he had the idea before he even got to the table. Yes. And his plan was this: he wanted to bully his neighbor. Yeah. I was his neighbor. I was a con. It seemed like 
it would make sense to try and bully me. Yeah. Um, I... You were planning to play your own bully game, and so the two of you just kind of clashed heads because will, neither was willing to bend. The thing was, I was just more—I was more excited to just play this trade dynamic that I was talking about. Yeah, I wasn't so much planning on bullying anyone. Like to the like, literally, my neighbor Sean, uh, who I'll refer to as Sean, but he was playing uh, the barony. Sean tried to um, extort money from me. He just wanted four trade for no reason other than to do it. He just wanted Hunter to give him four trade goods. He wanted me to pay him money not to attack me, and the or for him, yeah, yeah, I did say that right. Um, he wanted me to pay him protection money yeah. essentially, and it didn't really make sense because I he just couldn't he couldn't finish me off. Yeah, but he could slow me down. Yeah. But then uh, he was also slowing himself down. He was, but you know what's really interesting is there was a moment where Sean had victory in his sights. I mean, there was, by the end of the game, it's always, this is the interesting discussion with these types of strategies is it's hard to say whether or not a strategy is a good or bad strategy if the person almost wins the game. And Sean almost won the game. We all almost won Yeah, the game, and that's the Connor. thing is it's like, well, we were all there. So you, this is the point to say like, I don't think any strategy is perfect. There are too many dynamic things that happen in Twilight Imperium. Like we've said before, you are literally just trying to mitigate your losses with everything, which is why we try to focus on just like, what's your superpower? Focus on that. Hunter and I tend to be very broad strokes because trying to say, I'm going to do this and this and this and build this exact fleet and I'll have this many fleets of this kind of composition. Mm -hmm. Well, you're, that's just not going to happen. I've never seen someone carry through with a plan a hundred percent to their expectations. Yeah. And so when you try to set up this thing of like, I'm going to extort Hunter for four trade goods, it's a weird plan and it never really worked. But at the same time, because he did kind of consistently mess with Hunter enough, it made Hunter in a bad position. And he had an opportunity at one point where he could have maybe taken the win. He, his, his opportunity passed, but it, it was there. There was a moment where like, if we didn't deal with Sean, he was going to win. Yeah. And there was one round that ended like, someone's got to do something about, you know, that one fleet or something yeah i just i don't know it's weird because yeah i feel weird talking about it because it's like i felt like there were a lot of things sean could have been doing besides extorting me sure essentially but i just like i i read it differently i don't i didn't really see because me and sean were tied in the end at eight yeah um and i didn't really see either like there was a point you're right there was a point where sean could have won but i didn't see him going that way i saw him continuing continuing what we were no doing. because you guys made your peace agreement though that's true but then he but he if you well, actually watch it, it if you yeah. actually watch it he does kind of go back on it almost yeah. as soon as he can yeah um but it's mostly just because he's like well it's the end of the game i gotta try something um and i i didn't like i was like okay that's fine yeah but um i think we did a lot more to ensure that neither of us were gonna win i think that if Sean had Sean was swinging into me and not not, not bringing enough to finish me off, right? Which to me, primarily kind of ground forces. Primarily ground forces. Yeah. He didn't bring enough of them. I said it a lot in when we actually recorded, yeah. but um, so he had me beat on one level. But I was just like, this isn't actually going to work. Yeah, which was kind of a bummer because it made me feel like this is really just preventing us both from winning. 
um mm. instead of he's Boosting not he's up. not jumping up he's not just killing me and like using yeah. my body to boost himself up to the victory yeah he's he's yeah i mean that yeah. was definitely the end result mm-hmm. um i mean the person that did win though i can't say garrett as the sorrel really did anything specific to win the game except for avoided detection which is great for Yasaro. I mean, mm-hmm. Garrett was just never on anybody's radar. Uh, the biggest thing is most of us didn't know Garrett. Um, mm-hmm. Garrett uh, is closer with EJ, um, and so none of us knew how to read Garrett. We didn't know what kind of player he was going to be. He dark we, horse the yeah, game. Yeah, he dark horse the game. And, and I think that's part because he was Yasaro, and that's the kind of game Asarl especially wants I mean he did the exact thing Asarl wants to do which is like mm-hmm. he avoided detection he didn't really do anything and then in round six he scored three points all of a sudden and had the lead and albeit the ending of the game was weird and kind of handed the victory to him he still was very 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 close even without being handed a victory point like he would have been a huge contender to win anyways mm-hmm. and so it's just really interesting how you can have a million specific strategies, but so far it really feels like the best strategy in Twilight Imperium 4th Edition is what happens above the table. And is it is literally a social strategy. Yeah. Keep yourself from being the target and then win before anyone real, realizes you've taken the win. I want to say uh, on this note, that no matter how bitter I might have sounded uh, in the Holiday Spectacular, the actual episode, over the stream, or even now, me and Sean's relationship as neighbors was the most, like, fun Yeah, neighbor. it was hilarious. It was really funny, and it was ridiculous. And honestly, I'm, like, next year for the, for the, the Holiday game, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to want more of that. Yeah. Well, that's, really. what, that's what's so interesting about... There's like that debate that always happens in yeah. Twilight Imperium fans. Is it okay if someone doesn't want to go for victory points? Mm-hmm. And there's a style to not wanting victory points that works, and there's a style that does not work. Right. There are people. If you just turn off and don't care about, we have a we have a friend who played with us once. His name is Barrett, and Barrett just stopped caring about the game. Well, obviously that doesn't make the game any more fun we're not talking about that kind of player who like loses interest or never fully gets it we're talking about the players who just set up these new goals and they're still getting victory points along the way but they are such a chaotic entity that it's still fun to hang out with them and do this game for four hours with like that is the point of twilight imperium to us is that social aspect again connor ended with four points but really almost the entire game had no points like for five rounds of the game i don't even know how it's no possible. points i don't i still yes. don't even know i'm gonna have to rewatch the entire stream to figure out how that was possible but it was very fun to have him in the game and there's no way we joked a lot about never inviting connor back but of course connor's getting invited right. back i mean he is an invaluable resource in the entertainment value of that he's game. the most important character in the game yeah like yeah. he he is he's literally yeah he is the most important yeah. character in that game and that's what you're trying to build up is you're building each of your players as a character mm-hmm. they're the head of this nation and you have to deal with sometimes the crazy or meticulous methodical head of that i think there's just different like ways of thinking about the game and i think that like when we do a special streaming game like that that being like trying to play perfectly like it's chess tournament isn't necessarily the 
the best way to no. think about it, especially if you're just trying to ham it up for the audience and yeah. everything. Yeah, you can guarantee any videos you ever see of us playing, there are going to be bad plays. Oh, yeah. Because that's not our goal. I did want to talk a little bit because I don't feel like we've gotten into very much detail yet about the Jolnar, just in general, across mm-hmm. the board on the podcast. Right. And um, I feel like I had a good game as the Jolnar, even mm-hmm. though I had like kind of an iffy round one um and it has a lot to do with my bad pie slice that was not did not gel with what i needed Mm -hmm. um but other than that like i actively chose not to try to take an early lead i said i'm gonna work on maintaining good fleets and just like establish a good pie slice and i would say it worked by the end of the game my my final round strategy was like a very perfect strategy it was it was more that i got points when they were easy and was constantly shaping the plan to win the game Mm -hmm. rather than my normal strategy of just like lash out at every point always be trying to win at every single moment this time it was like get some points get some points be thinking about okay this is the secret and these are the action cards i have and i was always meticulously planning out okay whenever that last round does come this is what I will need to do. And the end result would have been if the vote, if the scary, terrible vote hadn't happened, I did have it manageable to do on my first turn. Mm-hmm. I, I would have won the game because I all I would have needed to do was win a combat that I would have won mm-hmm. for sure um, and play a secret, um, secret objective mm-hmm. during the action phase, and that would have been it. Mm-hmm. And it was on, I only got to that point because of how slow I did everything else. Right. And I... Even my pie slice wasn't even that amazing, but it was better than I'm uh, my normal pie slice. My you normal had pie, a slice, pie slice, yeah, I had a pie slice, and normally I am just I never have anything. I so rarely invest enough in fleets, um, so yeah, um, I, I I felt really good about my win that was robbed from me by Connor's bad, dirty thing that he did. But we talked a lot about the bad, terrible thing, and. I want to say this without explaining. There are other places we could have taken it had Connor not done that bad, terrible thing. That's all I'm going to say yeah. is that there were there were other way there were other outcomes, but then Connor made it like he railroaded it yes. to where there was really only one way for it to go. And in his defense, he was trying to. This is something other people pointed out. It. He was trying to fix it. He was trying to stop me from getting the victory point writer that I was going to get and keep you from getting a technology. Mm-hmm. Or no, I had a technology. You had a different writer. You had I, leadership writer. Yeah, right? I just would have gotten some command yeah, tokens. But still, he wanted to prevent anyone from getting anything and leave himself as the sole benefit. But uh, yeah, that was not how that card worked. Mm-hmm. Let's let's move on. Let's move yeah. on from the holiday yeah. spectacular. Um, we we've spent a lot of time talking about it. We spent in a whole episode previously. You're probably sick of hearing about it. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. We're gonna have more <laughs> stuff about it later. But for now, let's talk about. I, I want to wrap up. 2017 yeah as a year mm-hmm. um and let's start with my biggest takeaway from 2017 and my experience with twilight imperium was how quickly the metagame is evolving especially mm-hmm. for specific races we've already brought up some examples but i want to say this is something that is going to change constantly mm-hmm. like these podcast episodes are not future-proof. We are going to be constantly adjusting our ideas of what is good based on what we're playing. We brought up the Hakan example earlier of of what to do about Hakan, and that's going to just keep evolving. I mean, now that Hunter plays this kind of 
only I'm going to take trade, well, now me, in response to that, I'm going to want to myself take trade and prevent him from doing that, which means right. he's going to have to adjust to that. And right. these these things evolve so quickly, and that there's just never going to be any normalcy. Some other races that I think we, we were not prepared for the amount of metagame they were going to bring to the table is the Mentac Coalition. Mm-hmm. What are some of your impressions, Hunter, on, like, how have games felt with Mentac in them? Everyone is having to take uh, pillage into consideration, like, pretty much constantly. But what's really kind of sad about it is that it seems like people get around it pretty easily. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of like a... They get around it in that the Mentac don't get to use their ability constantly. Yes, and I will say, I think as as interesting of an ability as it is and like all these it has these crazy effects on the game i almost don't think they're for the benefit of fun like Mm -hmm. people are able to stop it but the way you stop it is just by not trading yeah and then there's just no fun negotiations happening and there's no interesting discussions happening above the table it's just like no i can't trade with you because if we trade Mentac will steal more, and I don't want to do that. The other thing is sometimes people convince Mentac not to steal, which that also (laughs) feels wrong too, though. Just for them not to use their ability. For them to not use their ability seems like, okay, well then what's the point? But But then you run into the problem of like, if they're using their ability constantly, then no one's trading anyways. Right. That's my biggest argument there is, and, and, Spoiler alert, we're about to play a game tomorrow, and I am almost definitely playing as Mentac, and as a Mentac player myself, I am going to offer not pillaging people often, because I don't want to stymie trade so much that people aren't trading. I want to lure people into a false sense of security with trade, like, oh, he's not actually pillaging that much, and then only pillage, you know every now and then when i need mm-hmm. the extra dollars or something because it seems my experience our experience so far has been that mentac doesn't actually get that much extra money on top yeah of you know it's it's maybe two trade goods per round two maybe three um but usually no one's no one's trading enough because they are there and that's good to shut everyone down like that's always an argument but it's not as fun and i want to as a mentac player encourage people to still trade but loop me in on it like i won't pillage you if you trade with me it's almost the same argument as your hakan argument which is just like instead of always pillaging you when you trade with other people i won't pillage you if you exclusively trade with me that's going to tend to be my my argument and my play Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i guess it's just like a way for mentac to get involved in discussions that don't like wouldn't concern the mentac otherwise right not for the fact they can bribe i just i I just gotta say i don't find either of those super fun though i just wish there was a way for mentac to steal on their terms instead of it being something that everyone else can control you get what I'm saying? A little bit. Like, if you could just do an action that allowed you to steal from someone. Yeah, I think the, that's kind of the problem I have with it, is it doesn't feel like they're pirates. It feels like they, they're they this... Now it's more of a constant negotiation thing. It's and like this office stuff, space. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they're taken a little bit off the top that people are barely aware of, and then when they are, the whole building burns down. Yeah, it's just like, what, what you're describing as a strategy doesn't feel like it's on theme. It's, yeah. It makes sense to me from a strategic perspective, but it doesn't feel like... That's not like what a pirate says. I don't know about that. I think pirate... There are, pir- there are people pirates are willing to deal with. 
Yeah. You just got to meet them in the black market kind of thing. You got to, I don't know, maybe not. What's another race that you feel like the the metagame greatly affects? Well, you've written Arborek, and I wonder, do you mean putting so much pressure on Arborek early that That's something we've talked them? about. We've certainly brought that up before. Um, I didn't know if that was something you still felt, because, this, again, these are things that keep changing for us with every game. Um, it's definitely something I've thought before of both of Arborek's neighbors need to be aggressive with the Arborek early and not let the Arborek get too wide of a pie slice. And I think that's something the table has to like agree to. Yeah. It's one of those, that, that's basically how I think of the Arborek is the Arborek is one of those races that they can steamroll so hard that the table needs to deal with them in the same way that the table needs to deal with Mentak and Hakan. And I wondered if you are still feeling the same. I don't know if I feel that way because it. The thing about Arborek is I. It, it's not a table issue. Right. It's a their neighbors issue. It's true. I if I'm playing on the opposite side of the table from Arborek and you're telling me that I have to help out with Arborek, I don't see it. Yeah. Not in the same way as Mentak and Hakan. Right. Because with Mentak. I mean, basically what we're saying is Mentak gets involved in a lot of things that shouldn't have anything to do with it. Right. And Hakan literally can kind of steer conversations right. or not, just depending on how you feel. Whereas I feel like Arborek is just kind of like a... And you're right to bring it up in a meta sense because I wonder... The thing is, we're so used to Arborek not being like a very big deal. Yeah. And I think the community has really, really like shined a light on like, Arborek's good now. Yeah. But is there going to be, like, a backlash, essentially? Right. Is it going to be that... Is it going to swing too Is Arborek good, or are we not playing against Arborek? Because right. my general feeling is this. Ground forces are, like, building infantry seems not only a lot more viable, but a lot more necessary. Yeah. In TI3, I felt like I could get away with, like, really just kind of skimming on yeah. the infantry. They were really just utility, and I didn't feel like I got a lot of um use out of them mm -hmm. and now more and more i like i'm noticing with lots of different races i'm building more and more infantry mm -hmm. um and yeah i wonder i don't know i i think we're gonna find some possibly surprising counters to arborek in the future yeah yeah i think things will evolve well on kind of the opposite side of the metagame spectrum let's give an update on our thoughts on the Ghosts of Creus and the Winu, if that if there are any updates. Uh, I mean, I still just feel like they are... I mean, we've talked about the the meltdown that happened when yes. you played Winu, um, and I feel like there's so much potential for that, and yeah. like, there are so and many And across different, the community, I see that recurring. Right. There are so many interactions with Winu that are essentially like, well, there right. goes your advantage, and it wasn't very hard for anybody nope. to sabotage it. And Ghost, I think, is to a lesser extent. Definitely. The situation we found with that... It was pretty specific. It was very specific. Uh, if, if you guys haven't heard that episode, um, there was an agenda that came up that destroyed all ships in wormholes, and Matt was playing as Ghost, and guess who had all of their ships in various wormholes? Yeah. Yeah. And the problem I have with those sorts of interactions is, again, what else was I supposed to do? Like, you don't not play in wormholes because you think that agenda might show up it's one agenda out of a deck of what like 50 or whatever right 40 maybe and um it's just it's so hard when those things come up because sure there are lots of instances in games where one person gets targeted heavily because they're in a position that they chose to be in 
but when it's the ghosts and something happens to wormholes or it's the winu and something happens to mechatol rex it just feels like it wasn't fair even though technically it could have happened to anyone anyone else could have gone for mechatol rex and the card that hurts mechatol rex could have hurt them just as badly but when it's your only thing you have going for you it it feels like you never stood a chance it hurts doubly so yeah i mean winu i feel certain on yeah Uh, i'm not certain about ghosts as far as this problem of like there's too many interactions that just kneecap it with no effort but i also wonder what else we're gonna find as far as for some other races do you foresee we talk about the metagame shaping to shut down a powerful race do you foresee any sort of metagame where people know a race is so bad they give them an easier time not with Winu, because yeah. the problem is this. Uh, it's so cheap. Well, taking Mechatol Rex is, hey, you're the bad guy now. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, they do something, <laughs> what they're set up to do, taking Mechatol Rex, is something that can get you victory points out the wazoo. Yeah. So it is always going to be a problem. Right. And it's easily solved. That's the whole thing. Yeah. That's essentially yeah. the problem. Compare that to something like the Embers of Muat, which we can't talk too much on yet because we haven't played a single game as or with the Embers of Muat. Who have we not seen at all? That might be Embers of Muat, Yin Brotherhood. That's it. That's it. Those We've are the two races we else. haven't seen in a single game. Uh, and the Embers of Muat is interesting because... I think you will see some interesting metagame things with Embers, which are, yeah, they still have a pretty bad start, it would seem, and um, we'll probably confirm that before too long, but one of the problems Embers and Muat faces is people are just afraid of War Suns because they exist, but I think the metagame will shape and kind of know that Muat isn't much of a threat, actually, because of how bad their start is, and so people won't worry about them, and the fact that you have that promissory note where you can give out War Sun tech... I think you're going to see a lot of interesting metagame things come out of that. Mm-hmm. Just in how Muat learns to broker that deal. Mm-hmm. When do you give it away for, you know, how much do you give it away for? What kind of promises do you expect from someone for your free War Sun tech? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's going to be like the linchpin of Muat's strategy. TBD on that. There's a lot to yeah, be discovered geez. about them. But. Um, the other big thing, though, happens even outside of factions, and that's our opinions on what makes a good pie slice. This has evolved. I think this is, for me, this is the second biggest um, change from TI3 to TI4. Yeah. TI3, it was just, you want more resources. Done. Whichever pie slice has the most resources, that's the one I want to take. Right. It's the best one. It's always going to be the best one. But TI4, that is vastly different. Yeah, we we uh, we've inserted it as a question we always want to ask in our first round strategies because we want to make sure we're paying attention to what kind of specific areas different races would want to be in. Like we pointed out with Xcha, you kind of just want a lot of planets over necessarily a lot of money. With Arborek, you want the money and mm-hmm. a, and maybe a clear path. Or like Clanisar, you want that clear path to somewhere. Um, I'm going to make the case here soon. Uh, Mentak just straight up wants a green tech specialty near them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a pretty strong um, opinion about that. And I think lots of things are going to continue to happen like that where we see that, you know, if, if you ever see a pie slice that has four planet traits of the same type in it, I'm going to jump right all over that. 
Right. Even if it's even if it's like drastically less resources, right. it's like that is almost definitely going to be a victory point that's at come some up point. So many times yeah. in our games is just the cultural planets, the hazardous planets, yep. whatever, whatever planet type it is. Uh, needing to have four. Yeah. Four is the magic number. It's not even just for that public objective. It's also Some secret objectives. Secret objectives. Yeah. Like it having four of the same type is one of the most important thing, and that's across the board right. important right. for every single. And so race. build. That's what's made building the the board more interesting to me. Which we're getting so much better at it. These yeah. Days. Yeah. And. That's another point to just say. We, we still have not played a game of TI4 where, where we play like the aggressive old style of building a galaxy. We mm-hmm. still do our co-op method, but I just can't suggest it enough. I, I, I don't want to ever go back. Yeah, I don't want to go back either because of that, mostly just because of that one public objective. Because yeah. like, if you just let somebody build their own pie slice, basically... Um, they're gonna put four of the same yeah, type. That would be my other. first thing I try to do, and that's not even like a cool point. Yeah, it's, and it's easy. Every time I've gotten it, where I just had them in my pie slice, I was like, I'm done. That's yeah, e- great. Easy. Yeah, and it's not that hard. Like once we started like really taking that into account when we were building it. Yeah, that that point has never been just an automatic since then. It's always no. been. Yeah. I want someone to have to fight for that. Point, yeah, exactly. You should have to. Yeah. it makes the game more interesting when you do. Mm-hmm. Um. Another kind of thing that has changed from TI3 to TI4, diplomacy. And I don't have an opinion. I still don't have a solid opinion on diplomacy yet. Do you think diplomacy should be a standard first round pick? No, it should not, not be automatic. It depends on your goals, but you can get stalled out on everything that you'd want to buy. If you're playing against people that are really paying attention to that kind of stuff, yeah. you because it's number two, right. you could get stalled out of yeah. warfare. So you refresh these planets, right? But you can't spend the resources on what you want to spend it on. Right. You could get stalled out on tech as well for the it's exact true. same reason. Yeah. Yeah, because I keep going back and forth of just like it seems so valuable to get those resources. But you're right. I think because the metagame is going to keep evolving into, I almost think, first round is going to start to turn less into what am I specifically trying to accomplish and more into how can I affect everyone else from accomplishing what they want to accomplish. People are talking about more and more is that, and I think it's, I think it mostly has to do with warfare because the secondary is like just so so good basically. Um, But even tech. Yeah. It's weird though, because when I think about that, there's a lot of things I want to do with warfare that don't involve me stalling it out. Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of times when my objective for what I want to accomplish in round one doesn't is literally not as good if yeah. I warfare stall. Right. Like, because, I mean, essentially, if you want to warfare stall, you basically you have to be, like, I don't know, the Sarl and have some action cards. Yeah. Or, yeah. which you can't do round one. Um, so then what? It means you got to move your stuff all randomly yeah. into other places, which I don't particularly like to do, but people people seem to be going back to this idea over and over that it really is important. Yeah. And I think the only reason it's that important is because you don't get to do it. Right. The problem is that since you're the one left out on it, if you don't stall, you're literally just letting everybody get yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. And and for what, really? Just to move a little bit further? I'm. It's weird. I'm going back and forth on diplomacy, but I also go back and forth on warfare. Yeah. They're the two like most contentious strategy card picks for round one for me yeah. at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know what to think of them. Yeah. So um, I said pie slices was the number two biggest change from TI4 to TI3. The biggest change to me and the, the thing I'm having the hardest time grappling with as a player is what I think is... It's like a shift of focus. A shift of focus between mobility and strength. The big thing is in TI3, it was so easy to get a lot of mobility. Mm-hmm. It, you could just really tag on so much mobility so quickly this is if you had the expansions like with gravity drive in the game it really broke mobility yeah and um it made it to where mobility was so strong that so many of my strategies were based around being highly mobile and it's what shaped me into the type of player who's just like no you just got to go for every victory point you can possibly get Mm -hmm. that is how i always won ti3 games and i and i never won a game of ti3 by playing slow But TI4, something happened to mobility. They made it less easy to acquire. That's one thing. But something happened in the translation where I really feel like late game strength gets you a lot further. This is in that conversation we were having about X-Chaw earlier. There's all these slow races where as long as you can prevent the handful of races that are good at taking quick wins, as long as you can stop Clan Asar Mm -hmm. or someone like that, if you can then ensure your position in the late game, I have seen more games won in TI4 because the table went, there's nothing we can do to stop him. He's mm-hmm. too big. We just can't prevent that person from winning anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was never the case in TI3. No, TI3 it was more like, it felt like everybody would play their trap cards yeah. at once. Yeah. And like it, you would see first place fall to you know second place and then fourth place right. crawl to first and then it was over like it would just yeah it there would be a lot of shaking up at the end and what we're seeing now is people building up to this point where they have this fleet that no one can really can really uh penetrate basically or or they have like in arborex case they have all of the planets they need to acquire everything else they need and there's no way you're ever gonna get those planets back or there's all these different versions of it but it's just like they have so much might that you just can't pull their position away People from People are investing at, like, the midway point mm-hmm. in a way that wins them the game. Yeah. And that, it, earlier you said that Arborek, you called Arborek a late game race. I actually think Arborek swings in the mid game. Right. You have, and you have to set it up then. You have to root at, like, around round four or yeah. five. Yeah. And, and that pays off in the late game. Yes. So you you need to, and that's the whole thing is like, when I did it before as Arborek, it was that no one at the table could do anything about it because I had already made that investment from the beginning, right? And just like I'm gonna I'm gonna have enough ground forces and enough capacity Mm -hmm. to unload on these planets, and they're never they're never going back to anybody. They're gonna be Arborek forever. Yeah. So it makes me think about races that are faster or are not as focused on the late game the one that keeps coming to mind for me is you played as them but i haven't yet the sardak nor i'm not really sure where their position is right now because i don't think of sardak nor as an intensely late game race because every because you have good 
kind of mid-game battles. But once everyone else gets these other unstoppable fleets, yours doesn't hold anything over them. And so these races that have to, like, win in the mid-game, I wonder how easy that's going to be for them to accomplish regularly. I'm, the thing, I'm not I'm not certain I agree with you, though, because that, that Sardak Dreadnought is very strange. Well, it's a really, yeah. really weird uh, unit in that you can destroy it and use basically yeah. use Yen's ability, but yeah. better. Um, and I went for that, and it seemed... I mean, honestly, it seemed like the kind of thing you could use to turn... To actually cut through... The like people a, with big... You're going yeah. to tear up a barony with that. Yeah, and I mean, if you're willing to spend the dreadnoughts on it, like yeah. it's it could be really, really bad. So it's I don't true. know. I think Sardak is actually a really hard race to call right now, yeah. and it's and you won't be hearing me talk about it anytime soon. Yeah. I'm going to want to play them again, because yeah. I was a little bit confused. Yeah. Sardak used to really feel like when you played them, you were like... I feel the theme. Yeah. And I didn't feel it. Right. And I was a little like, where are these guys at now? Yeah. I think um, that's what's making these strategy guides harder and harder to do. We kind of knocked out all the ones that we felt good about beforehand. And when we played them, all of our suspicions were yeah. proved true. And mm-hmm. now we're starting to get into these races where it's like, ooh, I don't, I don't really know how to... It didn't work how I thought it was going to work out. And so we're running into this problem of playing like one game as that race is not enough to come up with a strategy guide. So you might see more and more delays in getting all of these strategy guides out because we don't want to give you guys a strategy guide if we don't feel confident about what we're trying to accomplish with that race. And our strategy guys are never really like a final word. Like we said no. earlier, these are not future proof. Yeah. And I don't know, it the game changes so much. Right. Um, and already has, really. Yeah. There's already things that I would want to go like if we got to do it, I've already had thoughts like, oh man, if we could do, you know, the extra episode over, like yeah. what would I what would I talk about this time now that I understand this? If you we know, could redo like, the first five episodes of introducing the strategy oh, cards that would and be stuff. Great. So much I would want to say. Yeah. But so let's talk about that. I want to transition out of this kind of metagame conversation, and let's let's end on this is a long episode, I folks. I know it's sorry, guys. It's, <laughs> but we're gonna we're about. gonna burn through these last few points probably a little bit quicker because we're gonna get a little bit esoteric. Uh, we want to talk about Space Cats Peace Turtles. Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. 2017 was the year we started this podcast. I mean, we started it obviously because TI4 was announced, and the thing is, Hunter and I always wanted to do. Twilight Imperium related content. Mm-hmm. Um, we we loved TI3 so much, and we had gotten to the point where we weren't getting to play it so much because we had moved apart from each other. But we were wanting to start doing videos and stuff. Yeah. That was going to be our our big goal was to just do videos where we what we felt like was lacking in um, the not the community, but in the in the content sphere of Twilight Imperium was anything that actually got across why it's fun there are so many videos out there of how to play or a review of twilight imperium and it's like a 20 minute review or a 32 minute long introduction of the rules and first off rtfm has the best one out there i don't know why anyone else is making rules guides go watch rtfms they just put out their ti4 one last week so the game is done (laughs) And so with that, like, we were just always looking for TI content that no one was making. Everyone always talks about the shut up and sit down video that was 
so good, the one of just them playing Twilight Imperium. It's probably the closest anyone yeah, ever got. Exactly. And even that is, like, not the most amazing thing. I mean, it's early on in Shut Up and Sit Down's career. Like, mm. it's it's something that even they could do a much, much better job of now. And so we just kept telling ourselves, what if we just committed to doing that? Mm-hmm. And then TI4 was announced, and we said, uh, the videos are taking too long. It's time to just start talking about TI. Yeah. And that's the whole reason we started the podcast. And... We just want to make sure we make it really clear because we never did like a pitch for this podcast. We just started doing it and you guys started listening and it's been amazing, but we never got to set up again. Like Hunter said, this is our shareholders meeting and we want to tell you like what our goals are. So we want to set up kind of our, it's not New Year's resolutions, but it is our kind of New Year's goals uh, for 2018. And I want to start by saying, um, you know, episode two, we had already decided we wanted to do podcast errata. We wanted to do an errata at the end of every episode, mainly because we want to engage with the community. It's like the most fun part of this show is getting feedback. But what we've learned through doing errata is there are varied expectations of what everyone wants out of this podcast. And so we want to just be clear what, what we're trying to accomplish so that... Um, we don't mislead you into thinking we don't want you to always be looking for something that maybe you might not get out of us Mm -hmm. and so the first thing we want to say is we are not experts at twilight imperium i would designate us as super fans Mm -hmm. of twilight imperium we love the metagame and the social aspect more than we love really digging into like the meat of strategy Um, And for a lot of people, the strategy is by far the most important thing to them. So when we mess up stuff like rules explanations or when we forget um, a specific strategy that they're especially fond of, we tend to kind of glaze over those things because it's just not where our focus is. Because we feel more like we are a part of the community with all of you. And we started doing this podcast because we just wanted to get content out there and engage with people about the topics that were interesting us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to that end, I want to say we want to do more involvement with everyone out there and things like, you know, boosting up other people who are putting out really good content. There, There are, you know, the example right now is Falcone 1983 on BoardGameGeek is doing these like amazing first round strategy guides that are incredibly in-depth and they're kind of the opposite of our style of strategy guide they are considering like every strategy card you could pick for round one and breaking them all down Mm -hmm. even the ones where it's like like everything is being considered and it's very articulate and it is very it really has all the data there for you And it is, it's really good. Like yeah, you yeah. should, he did one for the Barony and he did one for Mentac and they are both super solid. Yeah. And it's just like, it's the kind of content you're never going to get from us because we don't math it out that much. I mean, there've been multiple times in this podcast where we've been like, well, someone do the math for us because we're just not going to do it. It's also just maybe not the right format. Yeah. You know? Like if can't. you, if you want to see that breakdown, you kind of have to look at it visually yes. and it has to be written out yeah. for you. Anytime we've started to try to describe a specific strategy, I get about two sentences in and realize like I'm even lost with what I'm saying to where it's like, there's no way that's fun to listen to. So our promise to you is like, we're always here to provide you hopefully a fun listening experience. And if 
if the content becomes boring to listen to, we don't have an interest in doing it. So it's it's we want that's why we did this Imperium Life, and that's why we want to do those sorts of content. We want to get the stories of Twilight Imperium out there more than digging into meaty rules discussions. We like discussing strategy because that's part of the social element of it. So let's talk about maybe some of the things we have in the pipeline for 2018. Ooh, this is, this is, oh man, I'm just excited. Well, go ahead. Take the lead. Um, So obviously you guys have seen or have heard, we've talked about the stream that we did. Uh, We are doing an edited version Mm -hmm. of that game. Um, there is a trailer that will be out, out when the same time as this episode. So yep. you're going to hear this episode and there is a trailer for a game of Twilight Imperium. I can't believe I'm saying that because honestly, that yeah. was the dream. Yeah. Like that was the whole reason we started doing this is because we wanted to do a video that we have now done and it just needs to be edited yeah. and you'll see it. That's going to take a while to yeah. edit. <laughs> but uh, there is a, there's a trailer. There's something you can see that's like, listen, this is what this we is wanted to do. Store. And, um, that, and that's and that's nothing. That's like a drop in the bucket, right? Um, we are we've got a couple goals for this year of um, other projects we want to do. We want to do more videos. Um, we want to record more games. But the thing about recording a game, we, we've done a bunch of tests on it. We we've been recording a bunch of games in the past, um, and what we've learned is you can't just film a game of Twilight Imperium for it to be a video that we want to put out. It's got to be an event. And so our goal is to set up more of these event games where everyone a part of that game knows that that game is going to be filmed and we're going to make it the best visual experience we can. And probably the first one we have planned to do is this year uh, we are going to go to Gen Con, which is, if you don't know, the board game convention in Indianapolis. It's the best four days in board gaming, and it uh, happens every year. It's been around. This will be its 51st year. Oh, my God. It's an old convention. And um, every year, our good friend of the podcast, uh, Blark Knob, he helps put on a Twilight Imperium tournament. And he and his team, uh, they've got a whole bunch of people who specialize in putting on board game tournaments and things like that. They're going to be hosting a tournament, and we've been talking with them, and we're going to film that tournament. Most importantly, we're going to try to do as good of a video as we possibly can on the championship game. Whoever the six finalists are, you know, the assumption is these are some of the best Twilight Imperium players in the country. They were dedicated enough to come to mm-hmm. Gen Con. They fought through players in, in all these different games. It'll be, you know, the top ranks, and we want to do a video on it, but... We're going to need some help. Um, What we learned doing our holiday episode is it takes a lot of extra hands to get all of the video content to be done well. Um, And so we've got our whole crew of people, but we all live all over the country, and we all have different amounts of gear that we'll all be having to bring to the table. So our goal is to start setting up an ability for, if you are willing you can donate to help fund our ability to make this hopefully amazing video for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have all of the specifics ironed out yet. We more wanted to put the pitch out there to you guys so that you can tell us what works best 
for you. If this is the kind of content you want and you are willing to pay to help make it happen, we need to pay for flights and hotel rooms to stay there and all of the extra charges with getting all of our extra luggage because of the gear we need to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of things that have to be accounted for in us being able to make the video as good as we can. And so we've looked into Patreon, we looked into Kickstarter, and we haven't been like 100% convinced by anything. So we're really wanting to just put the call out to all of you to say, if this is something you are willing to be a participant in, how do you want to see it done? What do you, what, what's the way you would want to spend your money? Yeah. How, yeah, essentially that's what we're looking for is like, how, is this well? First of all, well, the most important question is: Is this something that you want? Yeah. Um, we want to do it. We want to make uh, the Gen Con tournament a really special event, and we also, I mean, even in doing the video, I want the best Twilight Imperium players out there yeah. listening to this right now. I want you guys to go to Gen Con. Right. I want it to be a big event. And, I, and to yeah. to go even further, to like get really broad strokes with this, like. I want it to become an important thing for the TI community. One of our biggest goals, and we've said this numerous times, is we're just wanting to connect people through Twilight Imperium because Twilight Imperium has always felt like this game where everyone has their pod of friends that they play Twilight Imperium with, but it's not like Netrunner or Magic where people get together to talk about it. And we want to to try to establish more of those things. And so, I mean, my biggest goal is it's probably too short notice to make it a huge deal in 2018, but we would like to make a tournament video that's so good that people are jazzed about it to where they make a point to come out in 2019 and we want to do more tournaments around the country and we want to we want to host a lot of events and we want to bring people together over twilight imperium so all that being said um we are you know if you want it to just be a kickstarter that we run for a month and we you know spend a whole month hunter and i really dedicated putting out the pledge to to get people to donate to us, we will do it that way. Uh, it's certainly viable. Or if you think um, you would rather take a long-term strategy and it's something where you want to just donate to us on a monthly basis and help us reach that end target, you know, we can set up a Patreon. And, and, and if you want to be a consistent contributor to the show, we can do it that way. So please just let us know um, what is more favorable for you, the person whose money we're asking for. Mm-hmm. And honestly, uh, even if you don't want to give us money to do the thing, yeah. we also just we, there's like there's kind of two elements of what we're saying right now. There's the like, is this something you want, and like what makes sense to you? And there's also just like, uh, we don't know a lot about crowdfunding, and yeah. we need your advice. This is new to us. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We like in looking at it, uh, I've just read so much that goes in so many different directions about all of the different options, like Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Yeah. Um, GoFundMe, which I think would be wildly inappropriate for this type of project. (laughs) Um, But, like, yeah, it's just, we're kind of just looking for your opinion and also just, like, what do you guys want? Yeah, the thing is it feels different than everything else we see on those platforms because it's not, we're not trying to make a board game, which is Mm -hmm. what we always see Kickstarter for, right? And it's not, we aren't necessarily asking to do a, patreon for our podcast we really do want the focus to be on this video we that that is our project goal is this tournament video so um yeah again just let us know what works best and uh, we'll try to set that up as soon as possible please check out the trailer 
for um, our our upcoming video of our holiday spectacular. It was an incredibly fun game, and it was fun to film, and we captured a lot of truly hilarious moments that I I really hope I'm able to translate to you all in, in, in film. I mean, that's the number one goal of these videos, is to consolidate the six-plus hours of Twilight Imperium into less than an hour of content, a digestible amount of content so that other people who maybe can't play Twilight Imperium that often can still live the experience. That's our number one goal at Space Cats Peace Turtles is we want to bring the experience of Twilight Imperium to you. Yeah, just anytime you want, essentially. Um, the other thing to consider is that I would say in a lot of ways the Holiday Spectacular episode, or the, sorry, the video, mm-hmm. um, is meant as a sort of proof of concept yeah. that we can cover a game of Twilight Imperium and deliver it to you. Yeah. That we can take this six-hour experience and make it a digestible, just like fun video for you to definitely, watch. Definitely. And we want to do that with the tournament. Obviously, our what we did this Christmas is, not is a happen. lot goofier <laughs> than what we will do at the tournament. The tournament, it will be a very real production yeah. with lots of strategy and like it's not going to be i imagine that that tournament game will not be a table of uh goofy goobers yeah uh, there'll be people taking it seriously and that's something else though that hunter and i want to get into is the idea of us more as commentators than Mm -hmm. players Mm -hmm. um because we more than anything we love talking about twilight imperium i love playing twilight imperium we do way more we spend way more time talking about it so so um all that being said you know we want to be a part of this with you, and we will take any and all support um, we can get. Um, and that's it. I think we're going to close out the episode there. We're not going to do an errata for uh, our Arborek episode this week. We'll attach that to next week's episode. This yeah. one has gone on long enough. Right. And, um, yeah, so we will see you guys next week. If you want, we would love it if you followed us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles. On Twitter at Space Cats Pod, you can also find our posts every week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. We also have a board game geek guild, Space Cats Peace Turtles. You just will have to search for it to find it. Uh, there, we always post our schedule. It's super messed up right now, and it's probably not accurate to what the next coming weeks of episodes are but i'll try to update that as soon as i can uh and you can get your input in it's been actually really fun and engaging to have people giving us advice for episodes before we get them out there um, and helpful to kind of design some of these strategy guides because we have input before the episode actually comes out a little bit of pre errata so um tweet at steve martin let him know yeah, that we're going to gen con we'll see him there um, he goes every year yeah he goes every year and we just want to make sure he's there uh we've already hired him as the host of the the whole event actually but specifically our twilight imperium that's tournament. mostly what the kickstarter is going to be it's we mostly have to a pay kickstarter to pay steve, steve. martin yeah. Yeah. yeah i think that'll be the title of it is kickstarter to pay steve <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for listening we'll see you guys next week bye bye Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.